This week in Revolt Black News, it's game time. And if you have not voted yet, the clock is ticking. Now, the devastating year of 2020 has set the stakes of this election because this year has put loss into perspective. First, we lost Kobe, the Black Mama. Then the pandemic hit, slammed the entire world, but it devastated our people even more. Then us here at Revolt and the entire culture, we lost a legend in the great Andre Harrell. Now listen, eight minutes and 46 seconds took the life of George Floyd, and then it shook the world just as hard as this pandemic. We went out, we hit the streets, our fists were up, our capes were on, but then our hearts were broken when our hero, Chadwick Boseman, left us all too soon. But listen, y'all, 2020, it's not all lost. There is still time to put 2020 on a path of redemption because it's a path that goes beyond just this one year and it goes even beyond the past four years. It's a path to writing decades, even centuries of wrongdoing. Listen, November 3rd is just a couple of days away and it is the start of that path. So I have to ask you, are you on that path or are you not? Shooting anything that moves aside. You guys are ashamed to the world for killing your own citizens, sending military to the streets to kill unarmed full protesters. The few red eggs should not be allowed to tarnish the image. When I remember Nigeria, water run away me, Welcome to Revolt Black News. I'm your host, Ebony K. Williams. Now, we have a lot of business to get to when it comes to this election. But first, we must ring the alarm on SARS, the special anti-robbery squad in Nigeria. Now, as you just saw in our opening package, our sisters and brothers protesting in the streets of Lagos, well, they're not slowing down anytime soon. But neither is the government's response to all of the unrest. Sound familiar? Yeah, I thought so. So to help us unpack it and better understand it are some fantastic guests. They all know a whole lot about Nigeria and what the solutions need to be. Now, listen, you know this brother from Boss and Power, Rotimi, is joining us. She is a political commentator, and we all know and love her on The Real Housewives of Potomac, Dr. Wendy Yosefa. And last but never least, she is the founder of The Shade Room, Angelica Wandu. Welcome to you all. Thank you so much. Wendy, I'm going to start with you. Um, many of us are just now hearing about SARS for the first time right now, but in fact, SARS is not new. It started in the early 90s, and it was originally a local and a covert operation, but then it expanded to all 36 states and became much more visible. So before the corruption that we, we know is ensuing now, help us understand what was the original purpose of SARS and how it was in its original form. The original purpose of SARS was just a unit within the police department that was specifically supposed to address issues of robbery that happens in any country. However, what we have found over time is that that unit started yielding its power without impunity on individuals, especially the youth. They would use their power to basically arrest, kidnap, murder, 
brutalize individuals simply because they felt as though they had certain things that they thought aligned to criminal behavior. And for us in America, that might sound a little bit odd, but we're talking about individuals who may have an iPhone. We're talking about individuals who may dress well. Simply because you have these things, they will say you must be a criminal. And I am not, you know, negating the power of the police in Nigeria because I am the granddaughter of a retired police chief in Nigeria. They do great work. However, when you have a unit within a, a, a association like the Nigerian government and they are now starting to kidnap people and kill people, it has gone a step too far. When did it become kind of public knowledge uh, that this kind of corruption was going on within the group? With the evolution of social media, now we're able to see it you know, you know, more often, but it's been going on for 10, 15 years where they know that people can't afford proper you know, representation. So they know that your fear of getting locked up and them throwing away the key is bigger than anything. So we don't, so to avoid that, you pay to get by. They put roadblocks to, to if you can't get past this place unless you pay me right now. So, and the outcry is incredible because, you know, not, not one cop has been arrested. Not one of these SARS officers has been arrested for anything, you know, and so people are just fed up, man. And I think it's getting to the point where, you know, we have to step in. Uh, AG, I want to ask you about, you know, we're seeing a lot of footage. I know it's all over my and everybody else's social media feed of the protesters and how they are even still, as they are protesting the brutality, being shot at. Uh, Amnesty International even saying up to 12 peaceful, nonviolent protesters have been murdered, killed in the protests. Again, similar to some of the stuff we're seeing on Black Lives Matter protests here in the States. Can you just speak a little bit about the parallels, Angie, and how, how you all, uh, as Africans, would like Black Americans to be responsive in this moment? You know... I do want to speak to the parallels because, but I also want to speak to the differences in what's going on. Please. So with uh, with the BLM movement here, right? You, we have a problem of having the police overfunded. So that's why everybody's saying we need to defund the police because when you look at the budgets, there's a lot of money going towards the police uh, departments, right? When you talk about stars in Nigeria, what you're seeing is an economic issue, right? Because they're all Nigerian, right? So you're seeing an economic issue. The police in Nigeria are severely underfunded. Their salaries, right? When you see a person pull up in a, with a chain and a in an iPhone, that iPhone will pay for their salary for the whole year. And so the issue that's happening in Nigeria is that the police need to be funded more. They need to have salaries that can, you know what I mean? That decent salaries so that they can live, so that they don't feel like they have to rob the youth and rob rob the people as they come you know what i mean and so the corruption from the government um just trickles down all the way into every aspect every sector in nigeria and that needs to be changed are there other specific asks uh from what the revolution uh, of sars needs to look like what are some key things that the protesters and the people of nigeria would want to see for me, I think that what's really important from an outsider lens looking in is that even when this is disbanded, because it has been disbanded. It's not just lip service. It's not just saying we're going to disband this unit and then create a new one, which is sort of what happened. They disbanded SARS and then created SWAT. What is happening is they are shuffling around these bad actors and they're putting them in different positions and different posts. And that's analogous to what we see happening here in the United States. Some of the, the things that 
people are protesting about is even just to release immediately or re release the arrested protesters that didn't do anything, you know, and they'll arrest them and they keep them in these camps and keep them for 40 days and raise the bail to a level that you can't pay it. So you're stuck in there and they just throw it away, throw away the key. And inside of it is, is, is like you said, rape, there's killing, there's hanging, there's, there's um, a starvation. So even just on that aspect, I think that that's one thing as well. And I just, I just feel like enough is enough and having this be the issue, which is a very, very sad issue, but it's awakening the world to what's going on in Africa, period. And I think that's the most important part. In addition to everybody putting on their social media hashtag and SARS and coasting and that awareness is important. I'm not going to minimize that. The grassroots social media efforts are important. But what else can your brothers and sisters, your black American brothers and sisters here uh, in the States do to support, not just like you said, ending SARS, but ending corruption in Nigeria? I, I think that we know what a divide and conquer mentality has done for us. And so I would actually say it's an all hands on deck, right? Like when we were talking about police brutality, let's look at it from an international lens. Because I had cousins in Lagos, in Anambra State, you know, in, in Emo State. When George Floyd was killed here, they were protesting. And so I just feel like the same outcry has to happen here in the United States, right? Like it has to be a global movement. It can't just be one country because Rotimi said this is Nigeria and we hear NSARS but there's stuff happening all around Africa we all have to lend our voices to what is happening all around Africa and so for me I just think it's incumbent upon everybody if you truly believe that black lives matter that it's not just black lives in the United States it's black lives around the world if you think police brutality needs to be ended there's not police brutality in the United States it's police brutality around the world so we need to come together I agree with Wendy said it very, very well. If black lives matter, all black lives have to matter. And that includes in Africa. So thank you all so much for joining. Listen, we're going to head to break. When we come back, we have today's headlines. We get a lot more Revolt Black News on the way. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. These are your headlines. Now we're going to start with the unrest in Philadelphia after two police officers fatally shot Walter Wallace Jr. His family says he suffered from mental illness. Let's take a look. Now the White House has said it's prepared to deploy federal resources in response to the uprising as a result of this man's death. Trump was specifically asked about the shooting of Wallace. Here's what he had to say. It's a terrible thing. Uh, what, uh, what I'm witnessing is terrible. And frankly, that the, uh, the mayor or whoever it is that's allowing people to uh, riot and loot and not stop them is also just a horrible thing. Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden had this to say. I think to be able to protest is totally legitimate. It's totally reasonable. But I think that the looting is just, as, as the victim's father said, do not do this. It's not what my son, you, you're not helping. You're hurting. You're not helping my son. So listen, first and foremost, the family says that they actually called for an ambulance to assist Wallace, who was suffering from a bipolar episode. But instead, the police showed up. See, y'all, this is exactly why people do call for the defunding of police. Again, not to take all resources from police, but to add resources like 
more ambulance, more emergency care, more homeless care, more mental health experts, so that police are not inappropriately dispatched to cases just like this, where someone is suffering from a mental illness, a mental health crisis, and instead wind up dead. So here's the truth. Uh, a lot of people are asking today, well, why not uh, an officer just shoot this man in the leg or the limb or something to, uh, if they thought he was a threat, just, just um, uh, mitigate that threat. Here's the reality, y'all. That is not how law enforcement is trained. I know this to be true. I've spoken to many officers, sergeants, and lieutenants. They are never trained to shoot to maim. They are only trained to shoot to eliminate the threat in its entirety, essentially shooting to kill. Prayers up for the Wallace family, and certainly we're going to keep you posted as this story develops. And with early voting continuing just days until the November 3rd election, which again is the last day to vote, several election officials and the U.S. Post Service are now saying that it's too late to mail in your ballot as it is unlikely to be delivered in time by the Postal Service. Now, y'all, we got to pay attention to this. This is very important, especially in the swing states like Wisconsin, where the Supreme Court just ruled that ballots must arrive on or before November 3rd in order to be counted. Now, you got other swing states like Pennsylvania or my home state of North Carolina, where they're allowing a three-day grace period, an extension for ballots to be counted. But y'all don't get too comfortable because many Republicans will still try to challenge that grace period effort after this election. Uh, so here's my recommendation. Don't be discouraged. Uh, in fact, if you have a mail-in ballot sitting on your desk or table right now, either do this. Take it to an official ballot drop box. Now you got to look that up and do a little legwork. Or throw that ballot away, y'all, and go to any polling place in person, even if you're not registered there, even if it's not your assigned polling place, cast your ballot. Be sure that you ask for a provisional ballot, especially if you're not registered at that particular polling place. Y'all, we have a couple of days left to exercise your constitutional right to vote. Make your voices heard. Go vote. Now, in terms of the bigger picture on early voting, over 75 million Americans have already cast their ballots. 50 of those were mail-in and 25 million have gone in person to exercise their right to vote. Y'all, this is very encouraging. That says that we're on track to have the most record-breaking turnout in a generation. Let's keep up the good work. And in COVID news, the cases continue to climb here in the United States as we approach almost 9 million cases of coronavirus and the death toll over 228,000. Now, while President Trump attributes this rise in cases to a rise in testing, the science, the medical experts, the doctors, they report this increase as an increase of hospitalizations, which of course lead to more deaths. Y'all keep in mind, we've had over 43 thousand people admitted as patients for COVID-19. Now listen, here at Revolt Black News, we trust the science, we trust the doctors, we trust the experts. And when the experts say that the rise in cases and deaths is a result of hospitalizations going up, that means the death rates are going up, that's what we believe. So listen, be diligent, socially distance yourselves, and continue to wear your mask. Now over in Africa, president of South Africa has self-quarantined after learning that he came in contact with someone who tested positive for COVID at a fundraiser in Johannesburg last week. Now, the president's spokesperson says that the president is not showing symptoms and is working from home. But in terms of cases of COVID in South Africa, there are reportedly 720,000 cases and 19,000 fatalities. And in Nigeria, 
A Lagos judicial panel has begun hearings for ongoing report of the SARS brutality on its citizens. Now, the panel so far has heard from petitioners going all the way back to 2012, and they will continue to hear those claims throughout the week, including those of the most recent events at the toll gate, where Amnesty International reports 12 demonstrators were killed by Nigerian police. The Los Angeles Dodgers defeated the Tampa Bay Rays to become the 2020 World Series champs. Gold Glove winner Mookie Betts came through in the most clutch moment of the game. Now listen, at the bottom of the fifth, he scored a crucial run to take the lead. And in the eighth, he let his bat do the talking. Let's take a look. 0-2 to Betts. High fly ball left center. Back at the wall and it's gone. So again, congratulations to the Dodgers, uh, but L.A. is really turned, right, because they also had the Lakers win the NBA championship. And this is interesting. The last time both the Dodgers and Lakers won the national, international titles, rather, was in 1988, and they both won in that year, too. So listen, congratulations to all our friends on the West Coast. All right, y'all, we got a lot more show on the way after this break. I'm actually going to talk to Jamie Harrison, who's in an extremely tight historical Senate race in South Carolina. But first, we're going to hear from TV host, author, and my friend, Mike Hill. He's also a brand ambassador for the voting platform, Empowered. Mike, thanks for joining. Let us know what you're doing with Empowered. All right, thanks a lot, Ebony. I am Mike Hill of the uh, Mike and Donna Show on Fox Soul, and I'm here to tell you a little bit about the Empower platform that's going to get you informed and ready to vote on election day. Well, what is Empowered? Empowered is an app that uh, really puts democracy in the palm of your hand. It's uh, the information that you need to uh, simplify the civic engagement that's out there. It helps you with the voting process. And more importantly, it also keeps you informed on issues uh, after the election, which we know is just as important because once you elect these officials, uh, you need to stay on top of the people that you hire to ensure that they're doing the job. Thanks so much, Ebony, and thanks so much, Revolt Black News, for giving us this platform to let people know about Empowered. It's so important that we go out there and be informed uh, before, during, and after the election. Please go out there and vote and make sure you download the Empowered app once again on the iOS, Apple Store, and Android, Google Play Store, and be empowered. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. Now, with the general election less than a week away, we have to look at some of the other important influential races in this country. Now, some of them will determine the next two years, but in the case of South Carolina, it's actually the next six. So on that note, we welcome Jamie Harrison, who is in an extremely tight Senate race in the state of South Carolina. Jamie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, So listen, Jamie, as I said, you are running for the United States Senate. Uh, extremely tight and important race. Tell, tell us why it's being called probably the most historic Senate race in the history of South Carolina. Well, we're making history in so many, uh, in so many different areas. One on the fundraising area. Uh, you know, Lindsey Graham has raised more than any other Republican uh, who's running for the United States Senate. And we just broke the fundraising record here uh, for the most that any person, uh, Democrat or Republican, has ever raised in a Senate race uh, in this country. But, you know, that's not the record that's really important. The thing that the history that right. we want to make is that, you know, when I win this race on November 3rd, South Carolina will become the very first state 
to have two African-American senators serving at the very same time. And, you know, the historic nature of this is because when we do this, we will close the book on what I call the Old South and write a brand new book called the New South. This this seat that I'm vying for was a seat of Strom Thurmond, was the seat of John C. Calhoun, was the seat of a man called Ben Pitchfort Tillman, who talked about the joys of lynching of black folks. And so it would really be historic and would say a seat that there's a sea change going on right now in the South. Tell me about what it's been like for you to be a black man running uh, for a Senate seat in the South. Uh, what, what has it yeah. been like for you and how have you persevered? For me, I let it run off. Uh, it's like water off a duck's back. I'm moving forward. I'm focused on what the, the end goal is, which is to win this race and to bring hope back to South Carolina and to the communities that desperately need it. Uh, so, uh, you know, they've had an ad where they've darkened my skin. You know, just recently, Lindsey was at a forum and he said that, you know, you can do anything in the state uh, as an African-American or an immigrant as long as you are conservative. What is that? Mm-hmm. I mean, this, this isn't 1920. This is 2020. And, and yeah. you can do anything, regardless if you're a black person or, or whomever, whether you're liberal or progressive, uh, you, know, you right. dictate what your future is, not some senator uh, sitting up high saying who can do something and who can't. And so, uh, you know, I'm going to let Lindsay just uh, continue to, to ramble off on all this, uh, these things that are just relics from an old South. And we're going to be focused mm-hmm. on building a bridge to the new South. Well, talking about that bridge, Jamie, let's talk about the policies that you will enact as a United States senator that you will sponsor, or that you will write, and that you will vote upon that is going to really make life better for black people in South Carolina, because that's really what's yeah. important here, right? Uh, that, talk to some of the policy uh, initiatives that you have that you're running for. So one of the things that I rolled out that I'm very, very proud of is what I call my Roll Hope Agenda. Uh, if you come to mm-hmm. South Carolina, you know there's an area of South Carolina that Bakari and I, uh, Bakari Sellers and I grew up in, that Jim Clyburn represents. That's called the Court of Shame. These are majority mm-hmm. African American counties, but they're rural counties, uh, and these are counties that have historically been left out. And these are the areas mm-hmm. where you see the greatest disparities in education, in healthcare, uh, economic opportunity, and infrastructure. And my rural hope agenda. Uh, is situated to address these uh, long-term inequities that we find in these counties and across the state of South Carolina. You know, when you look at South Carolina, she's a wonderful state, amazing people, but she uh, happens to have feckless leaders. And those leaders Mm -hmm. have allowed the state to be at the bottom of all the good lists and the top of all the bad lists. And how we address that is by looking at health care and the equities that we see uh, in our rural communities. We've had four rural hospitals to close in primarily African-American counties. Just two years ago, 14 of our 46 counties had no OBGYNs, and the majority of those were African-American counties. Almost 250,000 people in the state don't have health care, many of them African-Americans. And so there are these statistics that are just persistent. And if we can tackle these things, we will see the quality of life particularly for African-Americans in this state, rise dramatically. Let me ask you this, Jamie. We know in the general election, in the primary uh, of the Democratic nominee process, uh, Congressman Jim Clyburn was enormous. He was a game changer. I don't think it's an overstatement to say he saved Joe Biden's campaign, really. What are your feelings about Vice President Biden's 
race as well as his chances to be the next president. Listen, I think the vice president, who I've known for a long time, has a great opportunity to become the next president of the United States, the 46th president of these United States. Uh, his campaign has done a, a great job. They did a tremendous job by picking Kamala Harris as uh, his mm -hmm. vice president. They made history when they did that. Senator Harris and I have become good friends as well. And so uh, I'm definitely proud, and I think he's going to have a good shot. I think that, uh, you know, folk are just fed up. They're ready for a change. Before I let you go, Jamie, because I know you're, you're a very busy man in these last few days up until this important election. Now, I'm on record as saying you could make the argument uh, that the United States Senate races are as important as these presidential uh, races, at least in this time. So you winning your race, Jamie, I, I just really need people to get that it's so much bigger than the state of South Carolina. What you do for your constituents there will be of the utmost importance. But in my opinion, sir, you are running a national race. Okay. And I want people yeah. to get that. I want people to get that who sits in the United States Senate is very much at national interest. Uh, can you speak a little bit about that and why voters, uh, I know you've been raising a lot of money, as you said in the beginning of this conversation, a lot of it is coming outside of South Carolina. Uh, and, and speak a bit about that and why it's so important that everybody pay attention to your race. Well, the, you know, this race is important, you're right, to the folks in South Carolina, but nationally as well. Because there are a lot of the issues that we are dealing with here in South Carolina that folks are dealing with all across this country. You got folks who mm -hmm. live in communities where their hospitals closed. You got folks whose infrastructure is falling apart. People who don't have uh, broadband in their communities. It's important that we have the right type of leadership that can help the least of these in our society. And in, in, in order for us to get past this, uh, uh, the gridlock, you you got to change the leadership we have in the U.S. Senate. That means getting rid of McConnell. That means giving Lindsey Graham a one-way ticket home. So listen, uh, there are some folks, Jamie, you know this, that are, that are on the fence about this election, but they're thinking about staying home. They're saying, you know what? I've been voting. Things haven't looked different. They're saying Barack Obama had eight years. I don't think things look different. What is your message, your closing argument, if you will, sir, to those that are thinking about sitting out this election? I want them to think about the people that are most important to them. And think about the things that have an impact on them, from criminal justice issues uh, to the economy to the quality of our schools. Every single aspect of our life is influenced by somebody that is in elected office. So if you don't think it's important enough, then that's you. That's, that's on you. But in essence, you have no right to complain when things don't go the way that you don't, you don't, you don't want them. I think we're going to leave it right there, Jamie Harrison. Listen, stay healthy. Uh, uh, we need you in this thing, and, and we wish you many, many blessings uh, here at Revolt Black News. Thank you for joining, and thank you for your time. Thank you so much. Take care now. Now, we're going to head to a break, and when we come back, Corey Bush joins to break down her historic race for Missouri's first congressional district. We've got more Revolt Black News after this. back to Revolt Black News. All right, now from the Senate, we're going to shift to the United States House of Representatives. Joining me now is Cori Bush, who's running for Missouri's first congressional district. She very well might be the first black woman to represent any congressional district in Missouri. Cori, welcome to the show. So Cori, talk to us a bit about Ferguson. Uh, for a lot of folks, uh, sadly, Ferguson, Missouri, uh, so many years ago with the killing of Mike Brown really touched a nerve and, and put Ferguson on the scope of awareness for America and certainly for black America. Uh, tell us about what that time represented. Uh, was that a catalyst indeed for your decision to run for office? It absolutely was a catalyst for me to run for office because before that I had 
it was never a thought. As a matter of fact, I would say that mm -hmm. I'd never run for office. I never wanted to be a politician. My dad's been in politics most of my life. And so, I, you know, I just saw a good person give everything. And it was just, mm -hmm. he received so much like hurt back. And uh, what we were able to do during the Ferguson uprising helped to lay the groundwork for the movement happening now. Uh, I want to go back to your district seat though. Uh, it's, pretty fair to say that you are about to make history, sister. You are going to be the first uh, black woman. And correct me, you might be the first black person to serve from the state of Missouri uh, because nobody's, no Republican has won your district. Uh, I, I don't even know in recent history. They haven't even gotten more than 40% of the vote since the 40s. Right. How does it feel uh, to, to, to know that you are about to probably be the first black woman to serve in the U.S. House of Representatives from the state of Missouri? Unbelievable. You know, I am, mm. every day I wake up and I'm like, Okay, it really happened. Like, I'm still doing that. You know, I'm glad that I um, held on, that I didn't quit, even mm -hmm. in, in the face of all the adversity and the naysayers, because because now I have so many women coming to me saying, now I'm going to try it. You know, I know that you're a nurse, you know, so you're not like an attorney or whatever. And so I'm going to try right. it, too, you know, or just thinking about it like that's what it's about. So I'm I'm. And, and then not only that, I'm the first woman for my district. So, yeah, I'm the first black woman for the entire state. But I'm wow. also the first woman for my district. I'm also the right. first nurse for my state. And I'm also the That's first, right. of course, activist fighting for black lives for the country. There you go. People need to realize that you really have to stay in the game if you expect to win. Okay. Um, and it's powerful. It's very powerful. Uh, so, Corey, something else that you and I have in common is that we both, thank God, uh, beat a case of coronavirus. I know you, you beat it back in March, and actually so did I. Uh, and, and first and foremost, I want to say on behalf of Revolt Black News, we are so happy that you have recovered and for the most part are much better now. Uh, but the politicization of this uh, uh, virus is, is rampant. What would you like our audience to know about your experience with COVID and politically speaking, Trump's handling of this pandemic. First, let me say, I'm so glad that you came through and you don't mm. look like what you've been through. Let me just say, <laughs> absolutely beautiful. And, you know, you Thank don't you, look Queen. like it. Um, and, you, you know, going through that, because it hit me like a train out of nowhere. Um, and then it mm -hmm. just lingered for two months. And, you know, people wanted me to quit running. People felt like, mm -hmm. you know, you know, you just need to you need to stop. You don't have you know, you, you, you just don't have it right now. But mm -hmm. thinking about what would happen to our community, to our district, if I did stop, mm -hmm. I felt like if I could win this seat, if I, so, yes, mm -hmm. I'm uncomfortable now. Yes, I can't breathe mm -hmm. right now. But our community mm -hmm. has been struggling to breathe for so long. We can't breathe on the mm -hmm. regular day. We couldn't breathe before COVID-19 hit. And so this means that even though I can't breathe right now, my situation is temporary. So what I will mm -hmm. do after I win, if I I can just stay the course and don't quit. What I will do when I win is make sure that we don't struggle to breathe any longer is to be determined to make sure. And the, and you start that work with the person and the people who have the least in your community. That's how you do that work. So that's what they did. And so our president hasn't done that. 
Our president is out here trying to be the reality star, the big daddy of bigotry. You know, we don't need that. Our country finally deserves to be what the flag says we are. You know, a country um, of freedom for everyone, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for every person. That's what it should be. And that's what he's supposed to be working toward. But instead, he's sad. He's sorry. He's despicable. And I call him a reprobate. But that's me. Ooh, Corey, your testimony, my sister, is so powerful um, for you to have the foresight and the fortitude to keep fighting because you viewed your situation as temporary, but you see the persistent situation of black America. Uh, Ma'am, I applaud you. I really, truly do. Thank you. I really do. Um, before I let you go, uh, I want to ask you when you get this seat, when you win, when you make history, because it's going to happen. Uh, I know it's a lot of things on your agenda that you want to do very quickly, but, but give me one. Give me the first priority uh, legislatively for you in terms of making policies that make black life better in your district. We need real COVID-19 relief. It's ha not happening right now, but that release lo looks like a $2,000 a month universal basic income for every person. And that goes all the way back to March and it lasts for one complete year. That's how we help people in the right now. A real moratorium on evictions, canceling the shutoffs and helping our homeowners who have renters to keep those properties, making sure our schools have national broadband for our students, the equipment mm -hmm. that our students mm -hmm. need to be successful for hybrid learning, and online learning and then making sure that there are tutors available for our for our youth my money my, 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 my high heights money is at good use Corey and I'm glad to see it I'm happy <laughs> to see it uh, before you. I let you go we're, we're asking yes ma'am all of our guests this week uh, there's still some some of some Americans but this show is for black America there's some black Americans mm -hmm. Corey that are thinking about sitting this race out Cory Bush, what's your closing argument to the undecided black voter in this election? The first thing is I won because people showed up to vote because over 20,000 people that had never voted before decided to vote this time because they felt they had somebody representing them. And then the second thing is we have to look at who's doing what and understand your vote matters so much that because they there is no like entity that comes in and writes these bills and now all of a sudden you go to school four days a week. No, that's a person with right. a vision and a mindset and colleagues that said yes. So show up to vote and let's get these people out of our communities, these people out of leadership that don't have our best interest at heart. Governor Bush, excuse I me, mean, I'm sorry, Corey, <laughs> uh, I want to say thank you, sister, for your time. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I say it jokingly, but I'm sure that this is literally uh, one of the first of many record-breaking races that you will be successful in. I can just feel it in your spirit, oh, sister. Uh, thank you for the time to talk to us. Congratulations on your history-making primary run and many blessings to your uh, general election. Listen, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we have a, a political pundit panel from all sides, and they're going to make expert predictions on this historic election. Y'all stick around. We've got more Revolt Black News right after this. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. Now, with this being our final segment of the episode before our November 3rd election, we wanted to look at election predictions because, as we know, we're likely to see a lot of different possible scenarios when this thing comes out. So to help us do that, he's a political consultant, Shermichael Singleton. She's the host of the podcast, Straight Shot, No Chaser, with Tesla Figaro. We've got Queen Tesla Figaro here. And from the Biden campaign, he is the Director of Strategic Communications 
Kamal Marshall, welcome to you all. Thank you for having us. Here's the reality. Uh, the numbers of black men that support Trump look very different than the numbers of black women that support Trump. Hardly any black women support Trump. But there is some black male support for this president. I, I want to just know from your professional opinion, where do you think that support comes from, um, from black men? I mean, if you look at focus group studies for black men under the age of 50, President Trump has been able to increase that approval by 4% from what he received in 2016 to around 18% today, which is pretty unprecedented. Uh, most focus groups and, and internal and external data point to black men pointing to one of two things. It's either Trump's economic mm -hmm. message or it's Trump's message on criminal justice reform. Also, when you listen to some of their criticisms of the Democratic Party, a lot of it is we don't feel a part of the conversation. We feel that the conversation mm -hmm. is typically about black women, or it's about this group or that group, but not specifically about black men. Donald Trump does not have a plan for black men. Uh, I think that was pure luck. Um, also, the voting numbers in 2016 were actually lower, particularly on the African American community. So, I'm sorry, not to cut you off. You said, you, I just, I just want to be clear, brother. You said it was pure luck. What were you referring to with that? When I say pure luck, let me be very clear. The voting numbers, mm -hmm. the voting turnout numbers in the black community was not high. Low. We have a black agenda uh, that we put out way back early, late spring. We have a current president that put out uh, the platinum plan, which is two, two pages, if that, 33 days out. We have a thing that we call uh, Shop Talk. Shop Talk is an event where black men get together and speak about issues that you cannot speak about every day. In short, it's like a barbershop conversation. So let me be honest. I know you said, brother, and this is all love. You said, let you be clear. So let me be just a little bit clearer. It is about flat out being ignored through the Democrat Party, not just on Joe Biden, but period. Politics is about an exchange for our vote. It is about a concrete thing on what exactly are you going to do? It's not vague. It's not emotion. It's not, I'm just hoping it's going to work out. I'm hoping Joe Biden, I'm hoping Kamala Harris. No, I am demanding and expecting that if 90% of black folks show up, if eight out of 10 black men show up, if black women continue to carry this Democrat party, that we will get those policies fixed. I'm talking about the cocaine crack disparity that you actually start talking about economics. I'm a business owner. Democrats never talk about that. I have a child in school. I pay for private school. I've been in public school. I'm a substitute teacher. You name it, I hustle it. Until those conversations are had within our community outside of the church and the barbershop, we're going to continue to lose. I think the black male vote in this country is the ultimate swing voter. I think they need to be recognized as that. And I think they need to be courted uh, as, as the good brother Charlemagne the God says, black men do deserve to be courted politically. So I really need Biden and, and this campaign to be successful. I'm speaking personally right now. Um, I would love if, if these last few days could really be about an aggressive outreach to black men, because I do believe in many ways they will pivot the outcome of this election. And that's not to lay blame on them because they are having an informed American choice like everybody else in this country. And they deserve to feel an authentic plea for their case and their support. Now continue, brother. Um, valid points, but let me be very, very clear. When it comes to the, the crime bill that folks like to bring up, Delaware, according to what you're reading, is, has the eighth or ninth largest population of black folks. When you are elected official, if they tell you to do something, you do that. Vice President Joe Biden, at the time, Senator Biden did that. He listened to his constituents. Moving forward, Vice President Biden did apologize. As Vice President with President Barack Obama, 
especially before they left the White House. Um, they released a large amount of black men from prison. It's a big thing. No one likes to talk about this, especially the opposition. So I want to be very, very clear about that. And the answers are still not clear. I mean, you keep saying, let me be very, very clear, but it's still, so it's still not clear. So what I'm trying to say is people were hurt behind that, emotionally hurt, connected. I'm talking about my homies that, that I know that were locked up, that I wrote that were in solitary confinement. That hits a trigger for people. Let me be clear. I don't give a damn about Biden or Trump. Nobody's saying that Trump is better. He's the worst. Mm -hmm. And to be honest with you, arguing about white folks' business, that ain't what I do, my friend. What I'm saying is we have to do better about atoning for what we could have did better. And most importantly, the plan on moving forward. I do not disagree with what you're saying. I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I do have uh, friends and family members that are in the same situation. And we talk about those things. But also it's a lot of depending on where you're from, which region, it's a lot of different, it's a lot of context there that could be missing in translation. But the key point here is we definitely want to have that conversation and continue to have that conversation about our plans to move forward. Again, about home ownership, about wealth. Um, all those things have been in all of our plans that have been out there. Um, some people always say, I don't know where it is. I've never heard of it. We have a black agenda. I don't think anybody in this conversation wants four more years of Donald Trump, period. He is the worst, as Teslin said. So I don't want you to feel in any way, Kamaya, that, you know, you're on the ropes or anything like that. We're having a family yeah. conversation to come up with formidable solutions for our community and our people. I think that's what we're, we're witnessing. And I'm glad to see heads nodding because that affirms that, that we're doing what we need to do as a people. But this is what I do see. I'm going to keep it a buck with you, Kamaya. I just think that there might be a little bit of stubbornness. Mm -hmm. be a little bit of stubbornness from the Biden-Harris campaign that might feel uh, a bit like their record should speak for itself or the plans on the internet should speak for themselves or the barbershop talks for speak to themselves. I just want to suggest gently, brother, maybe that there, there needs to be an additional tactic because I don't think it's landing. Kamaya, you just talked about something really important is all the black men that were and women, I'm sure, too, that were let out of incarceration under uh, an Obama-Biden administration. That needs to be spoken about much more. These candidates need to avail themselves to the people. They really do. Um, and to black media in particular. And that's that's really all I want to say with that. I've taken up a lot of y'all's time. Who's winning this election uh, for the next presidency of the United States? Shamichael? I'm going to say it still leads in Trump's favor because of the Supreme Court. I'm going to say we can't call it. It, it appears that it, it, would, it might be Biden, but we can't trust the polls. We're working. We're listening. <laughs> and... We're working for a great That's outcome. honest. Yeah. That's honest. Um, I'm going with Brother Shamichael. Uh, I'm a skeptic. Uh, I would love, I hope, I literally pray to God that, that Biden and Kamala pull this thing out. I think it's going to be very close. And I think the way I was raised is when it's close, they take it from you. This shit not looking that good. But I remain optimistic because God can do anything. Thank you all so much for joining and giving us your expert insights on this historic election, which is just a few days away. All right, y'all. Now, our energy has to stay up, but not just for this election here in the States, but also for our brothers and sisters over in Nigeria, because our pain is their pain and our pain is global. Now, from the Nigerian police to the Nigerian soldiers who have called some of the reports out there fake news, we here, Black Americans, we have a responsibility in the diaspora to look out for our own in the motherland. Now, listen, we can do a lot, not just by raising awareness on social media, but that's important. But we also need to put our money where our mouth is. 
Yes, y'all, we need to donate money. There's a GoFundMe specifically called Diasporans Against SARS. Give anything you can. Anything helps. Because we can support those that are raising their fists across the world, just like we're doing right here at home. Now listen, if you're concerned about where that money's going, where the donations are going, I get that. They even have a disbursement report that fills you in on all of that. So listen, y'all, let's keep our feet on the gas. Let's remain focused. And let's look out for one another wherever we are in the world. Because Black Lives Matter everywhere. For Revolt Black News, I'm Ebony K. Williams. See you next time.